Ah, church, isn't it so good to gather and worship together? Amen. We sung three songs and heard announcements, but there's one name we exalt in our gathering, and that's Jesus. I hope your heart has been stirred up by that. Uh, During worship time, man, my heart was really stirred up. It's so good to hear people of God sing together for the glory of his name. And I laughed with you during our announcement, seeing our children's creativity. It really is joy to be together. This past week, Pastor Shep concluded us the plot number one of Jonah. We are continuing our Book of Jonah series. Jonah heard the word of the Lord to go to Nineveh and preach God's word. But Jonah is like, no, thank you. Runs away completely. And he gets on the boat, and as he gets on the boat, storm arises. A lot has been thrown, Jonah thrown into the sea. And now, after being in the, as you heard, not 40 days and 49, basically, <laughs> fish spits it out. Um, and the Jonah has come back for the second time here. And that's the new beginning we are about to see in chapter 3. This chapter has so many nuanced theme, yet at the, pl- the plot itself, it's very, very simple. I can summarize the entire sermon in the last next 10 seconds. Jonah obeys, Nineveh repents, and God forgives. Let's pray. You're dismissed. (laughs) Well, that would not be right. As much as you love a short sermon, there's more to come. (laughs) This chapter, there are so many changes Um, here. As I said, Jonah changes from disobedience to obedience. Ninevites change from their wickedness to repentance. And our God himself relents from impending judgment to forgiveness. There are so many changes that run throughout the plot. Uh, This chapter isn't per se the prescription of how to change, but it is the great description of how changes happened. So we'll talk about that. And when we talk about that, let me set up boundaries here. I'm not talking about the circumstantial change. Like who knew a year ago from today that we would be sitting here with masks on? None of us would have known that. But I'm not talking about the circumstantial change, but I'm talking about transformation of heart. What are the things that changes us? So for the next couple of weeks with Jonah chapter 3, I'll this week walk us through the agent of change. What changes us? What changes Jonah? What changes Nineveh? And next week, I'll walk us through the element of change. What happens as a result of change? What happens when change takes place in our lives? What happens when transformation really occurs within us? So this week, we'll dive in. The agent of change, the three agents of change, the mercy of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God. The mercy of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God is what changed us. So first agent of change, the mercy of God. Read first three verses with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Look how the chapter begins. The phrase, the word of the Lord came a second time. The word of Yahweh came a second time. 
That's not necessarily uncommon phrase in the New Testament. Many times in other occasions, in different ways, that phrase is used. Word of the Lord came and the word of the Lord once again. But this exact phrase, the word of the Lord came a second time, it's used four other times um, in the book of Old Testament, three times in Jeremiah, one time in Haggai. It's used four times in a way that God's oracle is being declared to the prophet to proclaim God's message. It's only used five times, including Jonah 1. But all those other four times used are God, when word of the Lord comes as a second time, it comes more as an extension, immediately following the preceding clause. It comes more as a clarification. It comes as an addendum. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah once again. Da 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 da. Here it's unique that the word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter one, and Jonah lived completely a prodigal life, running away from God, doing whatever he wanted to do. God's prophet were held at higher standard, but he just did a rebellious life. But even to God's own prodigal prophet, the word of the Lord came second time. The mercy of God was available for Jonah. This shows great contrast of their character between Jonah and our God. What did Jonah want for Ninevite? Judgment, destruction. If God would deal with Jonah in a way that Jonah wanted God to deal with the Ninevite, all Jonah should have faced was judgment, not mercy. But instead, our gracious and merciful God extends his mercy. The word of the Lord comes second time. It will always be there for you. Read verse 9. The mercy of God is available for Ninevite as well. This is the king of Nineveh speaking. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Judgment was lifted when God saw Ninevites repenting from impending judgment to forgiveness to both Jonah and to Nineveh, mercy of God was available to them. It is very easy for us to understand, of course God is God. He's a merciful God. Of course he will extend mercy and forgiveness. The hardest person to understand is yourself. Do you really believe that the mercy of God is available for you and I today? Especially in regards to your besetting sins. When I talk about besetting sins, the main sin that you always come back to, for Jonah, it was self-righteousness. What about you? Is it explosive anger? Is it your deep insecurity that paralyzes you? Is it materialism, greed that you long after? Is it sexual temptation that you constantly come back to God? God, can you really forgive me with my besetting sins? Is mercy of God even available for me? Usually we have two ways to respond to that. One way is this. One way is, God, man, I really messed it up. But you are a merciful God, so please forgive me. Move on. No, 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 no. Where is the deep godly sorrow and conviction? The mercy of God is free for you, but it cost Jesus' life 
to secure the mercy of God for us. Don't we dare to abuse and take the mercy of God for granted? On the other spectrum is this. God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. To me, oh man, 627 times. I really messed that up again, God. Man, Lord, I don't know whether you can really extend the mercy. I said same prayer. I'll never do this again if you only. And here I am again. Sometimes it's really hard to believe in your besetting sins that we almost run into despair thinking, there's no hope for me. I really messed that up again and again and again. If you are in this camp, please know this. In the scripture, mercy and justice often runs right next to one another. Justice and mercy are very, very tightly associated. This is what happens in the heavenly court when Jesus goes on behalf of you. When you struggle with your besetting sins thinking it's God's mercy available for me, it's very easy to think that Jesus is pleading on our behalf as a prosecutor. No, Jesus is not your prosecutor. He, if you know Jesus as your Savior, he is your advocate. Your prosecutor is the very sin that always condemns you. Jin, you'll never get over that, man. You messed that up again. There's no hope for you. That's your sin speaking to you, shackling you. But our Jesus is not a prosecutor, but he is an advocate on our behalf. And do you know how Jesus goes to the Father? He's also a good defender. He's a great defender. He does not go to the Father as if a poor lawyer without any skill. Oh, Father, look at Jen. He really oh, messed that up again. I don't know why I should really forgive him. I don't know how many times I came on behalf of Jin here. But can you please just forgive him because you're good? No, 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 no. Do you know how Jesus goes? Justice and mercy goes together. Father, I come on behalf of Jin once again. He really messed that up. He said he'll never do it again. But he really messed that up again. But I ask you to forgive Jin, not based on the sincerity of his repentance, not based on his future merit, how well he will do if you forgive him, but based on what I have done on the cross for Jin. Father, your rest has been satisfied. Justice has been met because instead of Jin, I was hung on the cross. I paid the penalty. So, Jesus, I took the judgment and to Jin, extend mercy to him. Do you believe what Christ has done? If you think you can ever run out of mercy of God, church, take heart. Mercy of God is always there for you. His mercy is more than your sin because our Jesus is our great advocate pleading on behalf of you. It is amen worthy. Let me look squarely at you now, ladies in our church. In my pastoral career, I've talked to many men and women. I've been many men who's like, oh, man, Pastor Jin, I really messed that up. But Jesus loves me and he forgives me, so I'm going to move on. I've seen this spectrum, generally speaking, much more. But with godly, godly ladies that I've talked to who shed many tears in my office, is like, Jin, I, I know Jesus loved me. I know God loves me, but I just cannot forgive myself. You have no idea what I've done in the past. I don't. I really don't. But God does. And your sin still has a hold grip of you. If you have repented before God, know this. Jesus has forgiven you, not based on how sincerely you repented, not how much debt you have paid back, but based on what he has done. 
He is our advocate. Ladies, the court is adjourned. It is finished. When Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. There is no more shame and guilt. Amen. Yet, sometimes I also hear you guys saying, Jen, I know God has forgiven me, but I just cannot forgive myself. Let me speak to that. I know it sounds very deeply sorrow and conviction, but may I dare to call you out that that statement, I know God has forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself, it has hold of you. That You meant well. But if you really think about what that means, that's actually your pride masquerading as humility. Because what you're essentially saying, Jin, my self-righteousness is greater than God's righteous standard. God's righteousness in his infinite mercy and justice, Jesus Christ paid the debt. Then who are you to say your self-righteousness is greater than his righteousness that cost our God's own life? He laid down his life to pursue you and to extend mercy for you. Be free from the condemnation. May the Lord be with you as you walk along in that journey. That mercy of God was not only available to Jonah, the word of the Lord came second time to this prodigal prophet. It was not only available for Ninevite, who was wicked, known for their wickedness, brutality, goriness, murder. That very same mercy is available for you and I. Own it. The first main agent of change is the mercy of God. Second agent of change that we see in this chapter is the word of God. What changed us? So unlike the last time, this time Jonah goes, right? Jonah preached the message, but look what he preaches. Verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Wait, what? That's it? In Hebrew, it's only five words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Most likely, Jonah had said much more than that, actually. All commentators and scholars agree that Jonah must have said much more. But that being said, only five words are written in the word of God. And that transformed entire city. The shortest reluctant sermon. This is not even a sermon announcement. Entire city repents. Man, this is preacher's wildest dream. <laughs> can you imagine me? How can I preach five words? Dear Chelton, Jesus loved you. And then you go, oh man, I need to repent. God forgive me. And you all repent? Man, I'll be unemployed in a month. This is nothing short but of a miracle. The entire, look, verse 5 to 9, what happens? Jonah declared that 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, what's the result of the declaration of the word of God? The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herd or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. 
What a great mass repentance happens. And it's a simple, simple declaration of the word of God. Charlton, do you believe that the word of God has power to transform your life? It really does. Let me challenge you. We really become the product of our exposure. There's no way around it. Your, your community, your surrounding, what you expose yourself will really shape you. What do you expose yourself the most? Do you really expose yourself and marinate yourself in the presence of the Lord in his word of God more than you consume the news, consume the media, whatever is surrounding you? Do you really believe that the word of God has power to shape you and mold you? If you believe that, pursue it at all costs. I once met a businessman in New York. He has this big ministry that brings all the businessmen in Manhattan at noon. And then they just read on word of the Lord for one hour. And he once shared with me, you know, sometimes we people have got to think this is all there is. If your main consumption of the word of the Lord is a Sunday morning, you are greatly missing out. There's so much more. Read it for yourself. He said this that stuck with me. Would you rather hear the movie critic talking about the movie or watch the movie yourself? I would rather watch the movie myself. What, I mean, please, I mean, yes, you need to hear the word of God. But please go home and, oh, this word will change you and shape you. This is deeply, deeply personal to me. Why? Let me speak to you directly, parents. I'll tell you how the word of God shaped me by the influence of my father. It really pays the long dividends. When I was young, growing up as a pastor's kid, my dad would always get up at 5 a.m., a little earlier, actually, to lead early morning prayer meeting, 5 to 6 a.m., and he would come back home. He does it to this day because he's still a pastor after 30 years. And 6 to 8 a.m. every day, he would just read the word. Well, sometimes he sits down, sometimes he stands up. Imagine, as a little kid, the first sight when I saw, when I opened my eyes from sleep, was my father reading the word. That really impacted me. I didn't know its importance back then, but as I was growing up more and more, it really transformed my life. Parents, teach your children to love the word. But more than it being taught, know that it's caught. Model that for yourself. Love the word. How it happened to my life? I was in college, and I didn't know what to do. Many of you guys think I went to seminary knowing that I want to be a pastor. I didn't know that, actually. But I was trying to figure out what I wanted to in my life. Then I remembered, you know, I don't quite know it yet. But my father always went to the word as a compass of his life. In his confusion, in his clarity, in his joy and sorrow, he would always dine in the presence of God with his word open. I want that. No matter what I do in my life, that will guide me and direct me. That led me to seminary. His love for the word really impacted my life. Word has power to transform you. Just a few Sundays ago, I went out to lunch with a couple um, in our church. During the conversation, it came out. It wasn't the main part of conversation, but it just, as a passing comment, said, Jin, me and my wife read the word out loud together for one hour each day. We are trying to read the Bible three times. We quickly moved on to other topic, but like, I'm like, oh, that smote my heart. Because I know how sweet that is, yet 
here I am. I'll tell you my experience. I mean, it's a shame of me that it's like decades ago that when I was in college, that story reminded me of my story. I was junior in college. If you're a college student, you know how busy, busy, busy you are. There's no time. But I don't know what happened. I just wanted to eat the word of God. I wanted to consume it for my, I was hungry for that. So as a music major, I had access to the practice room. I would run away from my roommates, and I would lock myself in the practice room for an hour or two every night for four months to just read the word. Sometimes in one sitting, I read through the entire book of John. Sometimes I just read one chapter. I cried and cried. And every day, earnestly, I, and sincerely, I was longing for that time. Man, I cannot wait for 7 o'clock. When, when is that time come? Confession, my grade suffered a little bit as a result. <laughs> but nonetheless, I would not trade it. It really was that sweet and shaped my life. Church, do you believe that this word has power to transform you? The word of the Lord came to Jonah and transformed. The word of the Lord, simple declaration of the word, caused the entire city to repent. And it has power to change you as well. Jonathan Edward once said this, I'll paraphrase. It is one thing for me to tell you, um, I don't know whether we have a chemist among in our body, but it is one thing for me to tell you, um, Honey is sweet because it has sugar components. When it touches your tongue, it has some chemical reaction. And when you swallow it, as a result, you sense the taste of sweetness. It is one thing for me to explain that. It is completely another thing for you to take the spoonful of honey and taste it for yourself. Come and taste the goodness of the Lord revealed in the word of God. Would you do that? The first agent of change, the mercy of God. Second agent of change, the word of God. Third agent of change that we see here is the spirit of God. Look, verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Can you imagine that it took three days for Jonah to travel? Back then, it was walking was about 20 miles a day, they estimate. So this is at least about 60 miles in breadth. That is three times bigger than Manhattan. The word travels faster nowadays. You can type in your Twitter and word travels. City transforms overnight. That's still pretty rare. At that time, now we have cutting-edge technology of communication called Internet. Back then, the cutting-edge technology of communication was called walking and talking. You just walk three days and three nights, and he was a reluctant prophet. He did not want Jonah to repent. But just like that, the city is completely overturned. The city is completely going through mass repentance. You cannot explain that by human willpower effort. It is the Spirit of God who changed the city, this entire city. See, church, I share this because it would be a great error for me to tell you Go home today and trust the mercy of God more than you will be trust. You will be changed. Go home. If you only read the word of God 35 minutes extra today, then I guarantee you will be changed 100%. No. In the end, it is neither the depth of your belief nor the commitment of your willpower that changes you. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit who can change you and transform you. Do you believe that? 
See, one of my main frustration of, I've read many self-help books, time management books, and also productivity books, things like that. Um, they tell me I need to work hard. Check. I get, okay. They tell me I need to rest more at the same time. I know that too. That's right. I should do that. And they tell me I should think more creatively. Okay, I'll continually work on that. Um, if you can do it, create a habit that can help you. All, all the right thing to say. But I, we know it, but I often find myself unable to do it. Jacob Nittleman is a secular philosopher and a professor at San Francisco University. He wrote a book addressing this called, Why Can We Be Good? Why Can't We Be Good? In that book, this is how he introduced the, in the description, what is, what is this book all about? This is what he says. The ultimate question of human nature, why do we repeatedly violate our mostly deeply held values and belief? For all our therapies, resolutions, self-help programs, and the vast religious and ethical literature available to man and woman today, we return again and again to the same limiting and predictable behaviors, vowing to do better next time. The whole premise of the book, Jacob Needleman says that the ultimate human problem is not that we don't know what to do. We know what to do, but we cannot summon up the ability to live the way we ought to live. So church in the end, it is neither the depth of how sincerely you believe nor the commitment of your will. I'm going to do it. Read the word two hours and I'll be changed. No. Holy Spirit has the power to change you. For Jonah, it took over and over and over. We'll see that later. For Ninevites, somehow it happened overnight. But everyone has different pace. So take time to be holy. If you're frustrated with your besetting sins today, man, I messed up again. Do not lose your heart. Holy Spirit is still at work in you. And he has power to transform you. See, the three agents of change that we saw in this book of Jonah the mercy of God and the word of God, spirit of God. Do you know what the commonality of all those three? That it all points us to Jesus. The apex of the mercy of God, where was it? The cross of Jesus Christ. We should have been there. I should have been hung up there. What I deserved was judgment. But instead, Jesus paid a due for justice on himself. So instead of judgment now, because when I trust him, instead of God's wrath and judgment, I get mercy. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. Mercy of God was manifested at the cross ultimately. The word of God. Entire Old Testament constantly foreshadows of the coming of Messiah. And his name, our deliverer, is Jesus Christ. An entire New Testament constantly looks back to that cross, and runs forward to the glorious return of the king. Who is that about? Jesus. The spirit of God. Because Jesus Christ has lived, died on the cross, and rose again when he ascended, he sent the spirit of God for you and I, who will groan for us, who will be with us when we walk through the valley of evil, when we walk through joyous season, all because of what Jesus has done. The church, do not lose heart. The very same mercy that was available for Jonah and Ninevite, that is available for you and I. The mercy of God is available in your brokenness 
And the word of God is there for you in your confusion. And the spirit of God is here with us in our weakness. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray for those who have really hard time forgiving themselves today. Lord, it is easy to intellectually believe that God is merciful. God forgave Jonah. God forgave Ninevite. And it is easy for us to say, but God, can you really forgive me? I have really messed up over and over. Oh, Lord, would you let us know that you are truly merciful, God, because of what Jesus Christ has done? And God, make us hungry for your word. God, I know how important it is. Yes, I read your word. But, oh, God, would you create an appetite, hunger for your word even more? This word has power to transform us. So make us the people of God who love and hunger for your word. And, oh, Lord, sometimes we get impatient as we get frustrated with ourselves. Help us to be patient on your timing, for you alone has the power to change. It's the Spirit of God. Thank you for groaning on our behalf. I pray that you will continue in us and through us to make us more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.